This is a Triple J podcast. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Hack Podcast. And we're asking if you've ever wondered about what your colleagues are getting paid, if they're getting paid more than you. Everyone has at some point, right? They do the same job as you. They've got the same kind of experience. The gender pay gap is real. How big is it in your workplace? Because today it just got a whole lot easier to find out. We're going to be telling you how you can go online right now and maybe find out if your boss is telling the truth about pay equality. See if it actually stacks up. First, though, police sparred from Mardi Gras. Hack. In many other countries, pride parades have kicked out their police forces. On Triple J. Yeah, just before we get into this story, an update on one we spoke about yesterday. The alleged murders of Sydney couple Luke Davies and Jesse Baird. Now, two bodies have been found by detectives today. A crime scene's been set up at a property southwest of Sydney in the New South Wales southern tablelands. We know that a police officer, Bola Marcondon, has been charged with two counts of murder and remains in custody. Here's Detective Superintendent Daniel Doherty, who spoke after the discovery today. Well, the first phone call was to the families to let them know. They've had support from a family liaison officer who's another detective on the investigation who's been providing that support um, and they were informed straight away. It's probably mixed emotions for them and uh, you can understand how they may have felt but at least they've had an answer. Yeah, there's been a lot of anguish in the community about this case. People are upset, people are angry and last night Sydney's gay and lesbian Mardi Gras asked New South Wales police not to participate in this weekend's parade. It's this weekend. Uh, There's been a lot of reaction to this as well. People either backing the decision, saying they don't believe police should march at Mardi Gras, or others saying it's not right to bar them. Look, this isn't a new conversation. We know that. There have been chats for years about this, not only at Mardi Gras, but Pride events around the world. So what's this update? Well, Ariana Lucente explains. The gay community is tight-knit. It's full of love and joy, and this is gay Christmas, you know, Mardi Gras, and these guys should have been having the time of their lives. It will be a very different Mardi Gras, I think, this year. Sydney's annual gay and lesbian Mardi Gras parade is happening this Saturday, but what usually is a celebration of queerness and pride is now tinged with sadness and anger. The community is grieving the alleged murders of Sydney couple Jesse Baird and Luke Davies, and Bolamar Condon, a police officer who had previously marched in the parade, has been charged with the murders of the two men and is now in custody. Commissioner, should police officers march in Mardi Gras this My view, yes. Calls have been growing in the last few days for police not to march in this year's parade. And last night, the Mardi Gras board made the decision to uninvite police from the event. Here's a bit of what the statement said. This decision was not made lightly. However, we believe that their participation at this year's event could intensify the current feelings of sorrow and distress. Pride and protest were one of the key groups calling for the police to be banned from the event. I congratulate the Mardi Gras board for this decision and recognise the staunch activists who have fought for this. The New South Wales Police Commissioner Karen Webb has been facing criticism over what some say was a lack of public presence as the investigation into the alleged murders of Luke and Jesse has continued. 
Today, she responded to that by repurposing Taylor Swift lyrics. There will always be haters. Haters like to hate. Isn't that what Taylor says? Sydney Independent MP and longtime gay rights campaigner Alex Greenwich is hoping the Mardi Gras decision will be reviewed, as is the state's premier, Chris Minns. Those police officers marching in the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras are members of the LGBTQ community themselves. They're marching to show visibility of our community within the police force and support for our community. I'm hopeful that the talks between New South Wales Police and the Board of Mardi Gras can come to an agreement for Saturday's march. And the Prime Minister says it's a matter for the police and the festival organisers. It's, it's come a long way uh, from the 1978 Mardi Gras where people were arrested for the, the crime of being who, who they were. But I understand that uh, the queer community in, in Sydney in particular are grieving what is an enormous tragedy. If the decision sticks, it'll be the first time in 20 years the police won't march in the parade. But the police have had a complicated history with Mardi Gras since it began in 1978. The first ever march was meant to be a queer celebration, marking the anniversary of the Stonewall riots in New York. But the festivities soon turned into a protest. A clash with police led to the arrest of 53 people, they were taken to the police station where more violence happened. Peter Murphy was one of those people. He says he almost lost his life. I was taken away separately uh, for whatever reason and uh, really bad, bashed badly in a cell. The names of all those arrested were published in the newspaper too, outing many and causing some to lose jobs, housing and relationships with family. And at a time when sexual contact between men was illegal, the first Mardi Gras became a defining moment in Australia's queer rights history. Robin Kennedy was also there. I think it changed the Pride movement. That night changed the movement because we felt a sense of unity and we saw we could fight back. Hack on Triple J. Ariana Lucente with that update. A lot of messages coming through on Hack's Instagram. Nate says, people and organisations change over time. We should celebrate positive change. I mean, isn't that what the protests were trying to achieve? Someone else says, we've come a long way, but we've still got such a long way to go. I want to get into this discussion a bit more now with both sides of the debate. We've got now with us a politician who thinks this decision to bar police from Mardi Gras is a disgrace. Jackie Munro is the youngest Liberal woman to be elected to the New South Wales Legislative Council. She's also the Liberal Party's first LGBTQIA plus woman parliamentarian in New South Wales. She's with us now. Jackie, thanks for coming on, Hack. Thank you very much for having me. You've called this move to ask police not to march at Mardi Gras detestable. Why do you think that? I think the Mardi Gras should be about inclusion. It should be about the full LGBTQI community coming together and celebrating the progress that's been made across society. And that means having representation in all areas of our society. So the idea that we're excluding a group of people who are part of an organisation that actually needs to see some of the most amount of change is really sad and it actually marginalises LGBTQI people further. Do you acknowledge, though, that a lot of people do feel uncomfortable with police being part of the parade? I think that there is clearly a history of police conduct towards the LGBTQI community that is unacceptable. There is no doubt about that and 
a Liberal government led the apology to the 78ers and that was part of a healing process to acknowledge those problems. And we know as well that the media were involved at that time in, in particular where um, names were published of the LGBTQI people who were actually protesting in that first Mardi Gras parade and outing them at a time when being gay was illegal. So there are obvious historical problems with many organisations that have to do with the LGBTQI community, but what we should be doing is actually looking forward and understanding how we can include those people to include those institutions so that we can make further progress. Do you think there's a middle ground, though, that maybe police are able to march but not in uniform, something like that? I know that that is something that has been suggested, and to my mind that actually goes against the idea of bringing your whole self to work, to the community and to life because these LGBTQI plus officers and allies who are serving us every day on the front lines it is so meaningful for them not only to be part of the queer community but also to be a police officer and to deny people that right to express themselves in what is supposed to be a celebration of individual expression is, I think, a bit antithetical to the actual spirit of the Mardi Gras parade that we have today. There are a lot of people in the queer community, though, that don't think that history with police that you've just talked about has been reconciled. Like, they don't think New South Wales police have earned the trust of the community. And they're saying, well, not everyone gets to march with their profession, their industry, a lot of different, you know, the NRL's been knocked back before, teachers, different union groups. Why should the police be guaranteed a spot? In my view, the Mardi Gras is a place for all people, all Australians, um, people around the world. Obviously, World Pride was a really huge event that brought people together from around the globe. And this has become an event that is a recipient of a fairly significant amount of New South Wales government funding, and that's taxpayer money. And when we have events that are funded by the taxpayer, we want to make sure that they're inclusive. We want to make sure that people feel able to come together and celebrate their identity. When we consider the idea that individual people within an organisation cannot represent themselves as part of the queer community because of past actions or actions of a few, we would start cutting out enormous swathes of society. And that is not the path to progress. Have you marched in Mardi Gras before and what's been your experience? Yes, many times. I think eight times so far. Well, this is my eighth year. And I've marched every year with the New South Wales Liberal Party because I'm proud to be a Liberal, just as I'm proud to be bisexual. And I think it's important that we have representation, as I've said, from all areas of society. But I've certainly marched in a parade where I've received a less than welcoming response from some crowd members. And it's okay. You know, sometimes it's not very fun because people might not want you there, but it's important to be represented and to stand up and to be seen and to demonstrate that there is progress. People's ideas of certain institutions might not be quite right. Would you march this year if police are not allowed to march? Well, I think it's very important that the Liberals are represented and I think that it's very important that the New South Wales police are represented and 
that is what I think should happen. And that's what I'm calling for. I think the meetings that have happened today between the police commissioner and the Mardi Gras board seem like there's been some progress. I would ask that the premier and the police minister do get involved to try to resolve this if necessary. We know from all levels of government that there are calls for inclusion in this community and that's important, but there also needs to be action to demonstrate the, the real action behind these kinds of words. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. New South Wales Liberal MLC, Jackie Munro, thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thank you so much for having me. And on the text line, we've got messages coming through. Someone says, let the police wear black armbands. Good enough for sports people. Joe says, police presence will cause tension. They shouldn't be there. It's too raw. Let it go for a year, maybe next year. And someone else, Emma says, no one is saying gay cops can't go to Mardi Gras. Go on your own time out of uniform. Well, look, I did want to get another perspective on this. And with us now is Sydney performer James Brecco, who was actually on the board of Sydney Mardi Gras from 2014 to 2017. He's not on the board at the moment. And James actually got married at Mardi Gras in 2018, the first time that ever happened, and he's with us now. Hey, James, thanks for coming on Hack. Hello, so good to be here, Dave. Thanks for having me and reminding me about my wedding because uh, oh. I'm divorced now, but, but <laughs> it, it was fun. It wasn't too <laughs> successful. That's okay, but, you know, that happens. We fought for gay marriage. We fought for gay divorce. Hey, so that's true. It's all good. That's true. <laughs> James, we've just heard from a Liberal politician who thinks it's wrong for police to be barred from marching in Mardi Gras. Sure. What's your take on this? Well, I think uh, it's just been such a tough week for everybody involved. And I haven't spoken to um, the board members and their reasoning or their decisions of last night, but uh, they just must be in such a tough position. The community around Oxford Street in particular is just hurting so much. So my position historically has actually been that police should be marching in their private capacity in community floats, to be honest, or at least have to apply to be a part of the... I think what a lot of people don't understand with the parade is it's totally at capacity. So even last year with World Pride, a number of floats, including the NRL and a whole bunch of people, get knocked back every year. And so I think the police alongside Dykes on Bikes, alongside our Indigenous community that leads the opening ceremony of the floats, they're really in a very privileged position of getting a guaranteed spot every year. And I think sometimes if you're invited to a party and it's just not your week, maybe you should have some reflection about that. I mean, the criticism of the decision, though, is that people are saying it's a step backwards. Like, if there is an institution or an organisation, for example, that has a history of bad behaviour, of issues with a particular community, the best way to deal with that is to include them. What's your opinion on that? And we do have a history of bad behaviour. We've got, you know, not too long ago, Jamie Jackson at the Mardi Gras parade was heavily treated by the police on the on the streets of Mardi Gras. It took them over three years to reveal and hand down a report against the officer that hurt Jamie at the time. Three years. And I think the situation this week, it's too early to judge, but there's a lot of questions asked. I think being in the parade is a reward for great behaviour. It's not a stepping stone to Woods Good Culture. It's once you've got the great culture, that's when you go on the parade and, and march away. People who are criticising it would say, well, it's a slippery slope because if you say, oh, you can't be in it next year and then you're deciding the year after whether they can be in there, uh, when is it okay? How do, how do police come back from this? Well, maybe they don't have to come back. I mean, they do need to step up. I think maybe last week 
when this all went down, they should have had some conversations within themselves around what their float might look like and what they could do to remedy or recognise the awkward situation that they're in. They're having those conversations now because Mardi Gras uninvited them, but they should have had some self-reflection maybe a little bit earlier on. How do you feel when you see police marching at Mardi Gras? Because there's been a lot of commentary about this, people saying, I just don't feel comfortable. I don't like it. I don't feel like it's appropriate. Do you have an opinion? I feel very torn about it, to be honest with you. I personally don't think that we're in a space where they should be coming to our party just yet. I think there's a lot more work to be done. We just had, like last weekend, 19 recommendations come down around all the gay hate crimes that have happened over decades in New South Wales. And it's gone to review. They can't commit to any of the recommendations. I think seven of them are just to do with specific cases. They could straight off the bat tomorrow say, we'll do those seven recommendations. So there's still a tension between the community. I feel so bad for gay and lesbian and trans police officers that are in the force that want to do the right thing. I feel bad for the people within the police force that want to be part as an ally to be part of the float but I can understand why some people feel a little bit uncomfortable about it you know I was gonna ask like could it have an opposite reaction for people within the force who are queer maybe and feel more excluded or maybe a culture of homophobia develops because police you know have this opinion that they're not wanted in queer spaces I can accept all that kind of stuff I mean for me that's my opinion I think the decision of the board last night really has nothing to do with a lot of those issues. It's really around the hurt that the community's going through. I think that a lot of people, a lot of straight people in particular, don't quite understand how tragic and how hard hard hitting this really is for a lot of gay people in Sydney and across Australia right now. So I think it's more about this year, this moment, so raw and just navigating how, how to how to deal with that situation. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Sydney performer, former Mardi Gras board member James Brecco about a decision to stop police marching in the parades this weekend, this year. There is a lot of raw emotion, as you've said, especially in Sydney right now. Because of this alleged murder, what's happened, the case in general, there are probably a lot of people listening now, though, that are confused, thinking, how has this case led to police being expelled from Mardi Gras? Well, I don't think they've been expelled from Mardi Gras indefinitely. I I assume this decision by the board, they'll be back next year. Actually, it's not my actual position. I think they can have a break. They've done it for many, many years. They can go to some cultural diversity, inclusion education for a bit and come back in three years. But um, I just think it's a one-off. I think they could have thought about... I'm doing a Jennifer Coolidge float on the weekend, actually. It's my ninth float. And we're all dressing up as Jennifer Coolidge. It's a White Lotus theme. We've had to adapt a few things because um, some of the memes around that sort of float are to do with murder. And so very quickly over the last sort of 24 hours, we've been sort of like changing some signs and trying to still make it work, but you sort of realise the moment that you're in and how to make it work. I think the same thing with them you know, will the police wear black armbands, you know, in solidarity? Will they or will they take their hats off? Could they maybe not wear their uniforms? With any of these conversations happening prior to being uninvited, I don't think so. I think they just wanted to have business as usual. And it is our party. You've got to, like, it's a two-way street, I think, and you've got to sort of work these things out. But they've had conversations today, so it may not be over just yet. But I think how awkward it's going to be to be a police officer marching this weekend 
when half the community want you there, the other half don't. It's just, it's, it's a real mess. In your history with Mardi Gras, being on the board, but also just being involved in the event itself, what has the relationship been like with police and how have these conversations, uh, you know, been handled? Um, it, I think there's always been a tension. I think on the whole, historically, before the marriage equality debate, the majority of people were happy with the police marching in the parade. When politics started getting quite heated with the plebiscite and everything else, when you feel attacked and, you're, and your community's feeling attacked, it's hard to then open up and let everybody into your parade, you know? And so I think the tension has slightly built over the last sort of decade. And some people have one position and other people have another. And I think the community is very split down the middle. I think younger people are more against the police marching. And I think some of the more traditional older people are for it. But I know 1978ers, some of them are really happy with the apology the police gave seven years ago. Some of them are really upset that the police march in that parade after what happened to them in 1978. It's a very nuanced situation. It's a very delicate situation. It's a very tough situation. And I actually really admire the board's decision last night because it's probably the decision the police should have taken. Does it take away a bit of the, I don't know, excitement and glitz of the event when you're having these discussions? Because, I mean, and it's not just this year. They've been, and not just this event, Pride events in other parts of Australia, in other parts of the world where there have been these discussions about whether police are welcomed there and they should be there. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they're conversations that we should be having around this time or...? Of course, why not? These conversations need to keep happening. I think it's super healthy. I think even like five years ago it was hard to talk about these things and now people are really interested in... Um in how these decisions are made and, and what's appropriate and what's not. But I will say the police have got a long way to go with their culture and the way that they deal with the gay community in public and those tensions are feeding a little bit of this decision subconsciously, I think, as well. We've got a lot of work to do um, with each other. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with us. Thank you so much, Sydney performer James Brecco. Happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras. And thanks for coming on. Thanks Hack. a lot. And we've got a lot of messages coming through. People, mixed opinions. Some people saying they should be marching, we should be supporting people who protect us every day. Other people saying, no, I think it's tone deaf uh, to want to participate this year. I should say the Australian Federal Police, so not the New South Wales Police, the Federal Police, uh, they've announced that they are not going to march in the Mardi Gras this weekend. They say the decision wasn't taken lightly, but some in the community are feeling, you know, a certain way about the blue uniform and they're acknowledging that. It's the first time in 20 years that they won't march in the parade. Hack. In the year 2024, Australian women on average still earn 20% less than men. On Triple J. Yeah, the gender pay gap is huge. And if you're a woman, maybe at times you've been a bit sus that men in your workplace earn a bit more than you. Well, now it's easier to find out. Because for the first time, the gender pay gap at some of our biggest companies and employers has been made public. What does that mean? Angel Parsons breaks it down. It's about shining a light on that differential in each and every workplace and the accountability that comes with that. That's the goal set out by the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. For the last 10 years, companies have been submitting data to the agency about how much their male and female employees are paid. 
The original idea was it created anonymous industry reports where companies could basically suss out how their gender pay gap compared to others in their sector. But today, things became a whole lot more transparent. I think something had to change. The gender pay gap, so the difference in median pay, at private companies in Australia with more than 100 employees is now out in the open. It's the difference between the median pay of men and the median pay of women in the same company. Median is the literal middle number when you put everyone's salaries in order from lowest to highest. And also, we're not talking here about equal pay for equal work. Not paying men and women the same pay for the same job is flat out breaking the law. So let's get into it. On the positive front is about 30% have a gender pay gap of close to zero, but about two thirds have a gender pay gap significantly in favour of men. This is the agency's chief executive, Mary Wooldridge. Construction industry is the highest, uh, but also financial services and professional services uh, are also very high. Firstly, some maths. If we say a company has a gender pay gap of 14.5%, which is the national average, by the way, we mean that women are paid 14.5% less than men, or roughly 85 cents to every man's dollar. The higher the percentage, the worse the gap is. Experts say big differences can be influenced by women taking caring leave and historic barriers to higher wages. And if you're wondering whether part of the gap is because mums decide to work part-time or something, well, no, the data annualises everyone's wage so the comparison is consistent. And one more thing, the numbers I talk about are base pay. The gap can change if you account for stuff like super and bonuses. You know, there is a substantial problem in this country when you've got... Here's Federal Minister for Women, Katie Gallagher. And we need to be honest about it. It's not about shaming. It's not about naming. It's not about naming and shaming, sure, but just to give you an idea, airlines didn't do great. Jetstar's median gender pay gap is 53.5%. Virgin's is about 42 Maya, Woolies and Coles fare much better. But Westpac was at 27% and the Commonwealth Bank nearly 30 Here's its CEO, Matt Common. Clearly there's more to do. Getting more female graduates, more uh, women into STEM subjects and being able to focus on that over the long term. I think this is about another tool that can help us move towards a better world for all. Susan Lloyd-Hurwitz knows what it's like to be at the top of a company. She sits on several major boards and is the president of Chief Executive Women. Australia has the highest educated female workforce in the OECD. We are not harnessing the full potential of all of our workforce for the good of all. This data out today is all for companies with more than 100 employees. That means 5 million workers will know the pay gap at their work. But what if that's not you? Being in a region, uh, we don't have quite so many businesses with 100 or more employees. We've got a lot of small business, so it's not going to capture what's happening on the ground so readily, but it will provide some important data sets for us. Yeah, regional women like businesswoman Karen Foster say they're worried this all overlooks the gender pay gap outside the big cities. You can't manage what you don't measure. So across the board, a recognition today that we've got a long way to go. And you might be thinking, yeah, no sh**, we knew that already. Well, experts hope there's nothing like a bit of radical transparency to kick companies into gear. You're listening to Hack on Triple G. Yeah, Angel Parsons with that story. Want to get it into it a bit more now with Valeria Ignatseva, who's the co-founder of Work 180, which is an organisation that champions diverse and equitable workplaces. 
Valeria, thank you very much for coming on Hack. I'm wondering, is there anything in this data that was published today that surprised you? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it's a very important step towards gender equity, publishing that data. What stood out to me the most is that the pay gaps would appear more flattering than they really are. And I say that because the CO salaries were not included in the calculations. And when we have a look at the fact that 78% of CEOs in Australia are male, that would be um, quite an impact. Yeah, okay. So it's not even a real sort of picture of what's going on out there. I mean, how significant is making this stuff publicly available though? I think it's super significant. So when I look at the results from our annual What Women Want report, pay transparency was the third most in-demand policy from women and it was the number one in-demand policy for Gen Z, so those that are born between 1995 and 2009 and that generation is also expected to represent 27% of our workforce by next year. So it's extremely important. I mean, your organisation works with companies who are trying to increase gender diversity and equality in their workplaces. What are the things that companies can do that actually work? Yeah, so I think from our perspective, what works the best is when companies address this just as they would a crucial business problem. So when you think about, you know, sales, for example, if, if their company's not making sales, that's an enormous focus for them. And when employers come to us, um, one of the first things they do is complete an assessment of how they're tracking across all the different areas that drive gender equity. Uh, for example, their paid parental leave policies, their approach to flexible working and career development are just a few of the different areas we look at. They're also benchmarked against other employees and given an overall score. There is a company in particular that has taken it so seriously that they want to increase their overall score by 10% this year, and they've included it as a performance metric, not just for their leadership team, but across the whole company. So taking it super seriously, making sure that everyone's aware of, you know, where they are, what they've achieved, what they're planning to do next in a step-by-step process that's really data-driven. Just quickly, Valeria, finally, you know, people will often say, oh, well, women choose to work in lower-paid industries. What's your response to that? So, again, uh, an example that I've experienced that everyone, you know, there's so many other women going through this right now as well. Um, I was climbing the career ladder, this is over 15 years ago, and the only reason I stepped out of that rat race was because my son had a disability and I was a single parent. I did not choose to work doing dishes for minimum wage. I did not choose to work in that industry. It was only because there was no employers available that would look at flexible working so that I continue to stay in the corporate sector. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions around the types of women, the types of jobs that women choose and the reasons why they are forced to choose some of these positions. Hack on Triple J. And that is all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.